Georgia Tornay is a 12-year industry veteran. Barber and hairstylist hybrid has owned multiple businesses, acts as a consultant, educator, and was an international runway artist. Today, we're going to hear all about their story, how they help you create spaces that are authentically yours, and how they educate and advocate for providing safe and accessible, gender-neutral spaces for salons and barbershops. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. My name is Robert Hughes, and I'm your host. And today, I'm with Georgia Tornay. How are you doing today, Georgia? Awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. All right. Um, so why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your story, like how um, you know you got into hair by accident or uh, intentionally, and like what was your story that kind of led you like this concept of how to create a space that is authentically yours is really interesting. And, um, but also you're educating and advocating for providing safe, accessible and gender neutral spaces. Uh, I'd love to hear about it. So why don't you give us your story? I would say that I kind of stumbled onto this industry. Uh, like I wasn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was just this like little punk rock teenager who had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so I, I guess the story starts when one of my friends who was trans, uh, they had super long hair and they like wanted to get their hair cut off, like all their hair cut off. And at the time we went to like three different salons and they just like would not, they wouldn't do it. They were like, why should, why would you want to cut your long hair? And, and so finally we just went to Walmart and got clippers and just buzzed their hair. And I buzzed my hair and it was just this like super amazing, like euphoric experience. And I think that's kind of what started it in that moment when I'm like, oh my gosh, this person like just shaving off their hair like completely made them a whole different human. It like gave them brightness. They had a lighter step. It just, uh, that was the moment when I, when I realized, Oh, okay. So hair has such an impact on people's lives. And I think that's what I want to do. So I enrolled in school part-time. I didn't have help from my family. Uh, my family was very, um, uh, well, not poor, but just didn't do well with their money. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't have my parents to rely on. So I went to this, I don't even think it's in business anymore, but it, it's a hair school part-time. They accepted FAFSA so I could work uh, during the day and go to school at night. And um, that's how I got my hair license. I got my hairstyling license first and then my barber and uh, started out of Supercuts. I learned how to cut hair really fast and efficiently there. And then, you know, what was it? Three years in, we moved, me and my partner moved to a tiny town of like 10,000 people in Colorado. And uh, I was like, oh crap, well, I'm, I'm, commuting back and forth like an hour to the supercuts to work. And so I started booth running for the first time in a tiny little shop. And I was the first one to do um, hair for the 
black community there. There wasn't a lot of people to do hair for the black community. There was a little bit of a stigma um, and a little bit of racism that I experienced in that uh, shop. And so I, I, that's where I kind of got started. And then this woman who I honestly, I thought she was like a little off a rocker. Uh, she came in on a Monday when I worked, I was the only one who worked cause I, I wanted to like grab all the people, you know, and she comes in and she's like, she's like out of breath. And she's like, I've been, I've been going to every shop I can think of. I need someone to buy in my barbershop. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. Okay. This, I don't know about this lady. Uh, why is she just coming in here? And, but I was like, you know what? I was a little bit intrigued. So I said, you know, I'll go see it today. And I thought she's probably crazy, but I'm going to oblige her and like see her little barbershop. Well, I fell in love with it. So <laughs> a month later I bought it and it was just this like two seater shop, very small, but I've been in the community since 1920. And so that was appealing to me because I mean, it, I already had clientele. Um, it was in a tiny little lease space that was practically falling apart, but rent was only 200 bucks a month. So I'm like score, like only have to do a, like 10 haircuts to, to make rent, you know? So, and cause at the time it was $20 haircut. So it's like super, super cheap, but, um, yeah, she financed a loan for me because I was only 23 and I couldn't get, I didn't have credit. I couldn't get any sort of loan or anything. So she really made it happen for me. And to this day we talk and she kind of mentored me as a tiny little hairdresser or barber. And it was, it was awesome. And at the first time, it was the first time for me that I felt a sense of community. Uh, when I was younger, I just, we moved around a lot, like every year just moved around mostly because my parents weren't very good with their money, but, um, but I didn't really have like a sense of community growing up. I didn't have a, a childhood home. I didn't have a childhood place. Like I grew up in Arizona. We lived in Kentucky for a minute. We lived in Colorado for like, so it's just like, I didn't have that. So it was really, really cool for me to, to work with this barbershop and grow it in that community because I felt like really connected with them, even though it was this tiny town and it was mostly agriculture, mostly farmers. Um, it just like, they still have a, like a little piece of my heart because they're just these cute older gentlemen and, and, you know, they, they know how to treat you really well. And it was funny because I had like purple hair then. So some of them were already weirded out at the fact that it was a lady barber, right? So like a woman barber, there's already a stigma with that. Um, so they were already trying to, to overcome that with Teresa, who was the barber that I bought it from. But, um, now, now it's me, this young, tatted, purple-haired barber. It took some of them a, a long time to kind of let me cut their hair, essentially. But they did because it was the only barbershop. So what are you going to do? Um, and then it started being this thing throughout the years that they would 
place bets at the local coffee shop on like what color my hair would be next time they were in. And it turned into this like cool thing. And eventually two years later, we um, expanded. I actually had landlord issues at that little spot. Um, That spot was, I mean, that barbershop was there at that location since 1920, but it was owned by the same guy, like forever, like the same family forever. Well, that guy sold it and my lease expired. So like a year later, my lease expired. There's a new landlord, there's a new guy and he saw how much money we were making and he's like, I'm going to put my friend in there and then I'm going to like charge them a commission and make more money doing it that way instead of collecting rent from me. Right. That was his, his glorious idea that he had. Um, so he let my lease lapse and he presented me with a 30 day notice to vacate on my door. Didn't even tell me right after I paid my rent next day, that notice is on the door. And guess what? I didn't even see it. My booth renter saw it at the time, which was so irritating. But um, I kind of I went in the alleyway. I like shed a tear. And at this time, I think I was 25. And I went back in and I just cut some hair kind of started talking about like, oh, we might be moving to kind of get a, a feel because I mean, I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was failing them because that space was there forever. So I'm like trying to get a gauge on like how the community is going to react. And finally, I think it was like my fourth haircut. He's like, well, have you heard about the, it's like an old tasty freeze building. And it's like a, little restaurant if people don't know what tasty freeze is it's like a yeah like a little in and out or something like that is what it looks like um but it's a standalone building and he's like have you ever looked in have you looked at that building and i'm like no i just learned about this like i I don't really know what i'm gonna do and he's like come look at the building with me later today and Like everything in my life, like I would segue just for a second, everything in my life has been serendipitous where if there's a moment where you can say yes or take a little jump, I do it. And that's kind of like what's led me here in Palm Springs, California, essentially. Um, But so that's a segue. But so I went and I, uh, I met him later that day. He ended up being my investor and we bought that building uh, five days later with cash. And um, cause I had 30 days, right? 30 day notice to vacate. So it was my goal then to open and not have any downtime whatsoever because this guy wanted to turn that into a barbershop. Right. So, so I was thinking, Oh my God, he's going to try to make people think that this is still the barbershop. Like he's going to try to get the people And so I need to have no downtime. I need to make sure that I'm marketing and letting everybody know, you know, city barbershop is moving. Um, We're expanding. It's an exciting thing, all the things. Right. And so we worked on marketing. We worked on um, putting, I put huge pieces of paper that I wrote with the Sharpie that say city barbers moving. um, So that all the things that I could think of. um, And 
I became my own general contractor. Never done that in my life. I'm 25 again and got electric, um, got plumbing, got drywall, got everything done. Flooring. I did myself with my partner and my sibling. Um, we did it all in three weeks. So it was kind of insane because I mean that that place needed gutted. It was a restaurant. So it was like, we gutted everything, put a new roof in, put HVAC in, put new drywall, new flooring, paint, the whole shebang. Um, and we were able to open a month later. We had absolutely no downtime. Um, we moved everything that Sunday that, that I was, uh, the last day that I had at the lease of the other space. And then, um, we moved everything that Sunday, Monday, Monday morning, we had inspection, the final inspection, um, like at 8am. And then we opened at nine. Like it was like such a fast turnaround for that space. Um, and I owned it for about, I had that building for about, um, five, five or six years. Um, I expanded it. It had four chairs. The old one had two. I could have put like eight to 10 chairs in there, but I cut the building in half and only put four. And that was kind of a strategic move on my part because I didn't want a big salon. That place was very intimate. We had people, we brewed coffee in the morning and guys would just come and just sit and chill with their buddies and drink coffee and then maybe get their haircut. Or it was such a small town, like they'd see, oh, Bob's red truck is like parked out. Oh, he's over there. I'm going to go over there and have, have a coffee and talk to him. And like, so it was like a very like community based space and I wanted to keep it that way. So I kept it really cozy, um, four chair spot, which was perfect. Cause honestly it was a small town. I couldn't find that many barbers to save my life anyways. So, um, four was great. And then, you know, a year later we put uh, a tattoo shop in a guy wanted to rent the space. So then I had rental income coming in, uh, from, from that gentleman too. So it, it ended up being super cool. Uh, but the biggest problem, I guess for me was, I felt like, I mean, it was, it was a successful business for being 23 and not having any sort of business experience. I was really, really smart in the sense of like taking online business courses, doing what I needed to do to really like learn the business, do accounting courses. I don't really know anything about accounting, but I needed to feel well versed in these things so that I knew that I'd be solid. And I think that comes from my childhood of not having um, stability. So for me, I'm like, I need, this is a very scary venture, but I'm going to do it because I know I can do it, but I'm going to, we got to do those steps. You know, we got to like learn from people who actually know what they're doing. Um, so that was really important for me to do. And, uh, but I kind of felt like, about seven years in, towards the end of me owning that barbershop, I felt a little stagnant. So I started getting into runway, which was super fun. It was like more creative. Um, I worked with Charlie Price, who um, was on like the 
a season of sheer genius. And I just, I liked him because he was like, he was the villain in the show, you know, and he was just like so salty. He was like a salty gay man. And uh, I just liked him. He just like spoke his mind. And I think that's why I, I gravitated to him because I also felt like in the barbershop, my hands were tied a little bit. And I don't think that it was anyone's fault but mine. I think it was just how I felt. Like I felt like I couldn't be a hundred percent open in that shop. Um, I never told anyone that I was gay in the barbershop. I was too scared um, because I mean, they're older gentlemen. I don't, I just don't know. It's a small town. I don't know how people are going to react. Um, so it was one of those things where I felt, even though I created a space with like gender neutral pricing. Um, I said it was city barbershop for men and women trying to like curb it a little bit. I felt like I, my hands were still tied because I wasn't com being completely authentic. I was just trying to um, do what the community wanted, you know? So yeah, well, you also bought a business and uh, you were, expanding that business and the business had a brand. So that makes, that makes yes. sense. That yeah. Totally and it makes sense. Sense. Yeah. So it's like, like, I don't regret any of it. It's like, yeah, the business already had a brand. It already had a target market of people who wanted to, to, you know, go there. It had generations of people who went there. So I couldn't alienate the clientele that was already there. I needed to find small little ways that I can kind of put, you know, my spin in without, you know, alienating the whole population, which looking back, I think I would have maybe done it a little more, but, um, I think it was totally fine. I, I don't, I definitely don't, um, think I did anything wrong in that. I think everything is actually done exactly how it should have been. <laughs> but, um, and even now, like the person who owns the barbershop now is like, you know, expanded it even more. So it's like, it's, it's doing its thing. It's doing what it was meant to do. Um, and I fully believe that, uh, like I was meant to be there to take it, to take it there, you know? And then someone is like taking it off even more. So that's super cool. But yeah, so I just worked with Charlie um, and he kind of taught me how to like speak my truth a little bit because he's just like so out there. And um, I was doing so much runway that I remember I was like, I was like doing Carly Kloss's hair, which uh, she's like a supermodel um, and in New York Fashion Week and I got a call from my manager and she like, it's like, anytime I left, like fire broke loose at the shop. Right. And that's just how, that's just like, as an owner, that's just what you deal with. It's fine. But I'm like, I am like in New York, I am doing this chick's hair. And like, you all can't figure out your life for like one second. And that's when I just had a moment where I was like, you know what? It's not even their fault. It's my fault because I'm not there. I, I need either need a manager or I need to sell it. Like, one of the two needs to happen. And I decided I wanted to sell it and I sold it to my manager. Um, and I did the same thing to her that Teresa did for me. I financed the loan so that she could do it. I remained a landlord to the building and it was a perfect like 
way to kind of end that chapter um, of my life because I was still, you know, financially, I was a landlord to that space now. So then I could, I could so kind of help in that way. Question. Um, so like, uh, first of all, you started off with uh, working at schools, supercuts, and then you said a suite. Is that right? Yes. I worked at, for a tiny amount of time in that new, um, in that new little town that we lived in, I started booth renting for the first time okay. and it was only for a few months um, okay. before uh, Teresa came in and asked me if I wanted to buy a shop. And so you bought the shop and then you uh, had to deal with um, a changeover in landlords, which uh, mm -hmm. led to them saying, Oh, I can make more money off this space. And then you found an investor and uh, to open up another shop that bought the real estate. And yeah. uh, so did that mean that you were part owner of the real estate as well as the business? I was full owner because they, well, yeah, I was full owner because I was just paying a mortgage to them. Oh, so they didn't even, they just, they just gave you the loan. The, yes. Oh, so your investor so was like a hard money lender. They weren't, yeah. they weren't like your partner investing in this joint venture together. No, they, they literally just like handed me the cash and then turned into my uh, mortgage lender. Wow. That's yeah. pretty awesome opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cool. Um, and I later found out that this particular gentleman had been in that community forever and helped various businesses in small ways. Um, so he just kind of was a godsend to me. Um, nice. To be honest. So then, you, so then you took the business and you turned it around, you built it up and, uh, you started running into friction between your own personal identity brand and the brand of the business that you had bought and uh, so that you decided that it was time to make some moves of your own. You yeah. sold the business. Okay. All right. So I just want to make sure I got all the steps here. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, listening. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So now, so now, so you sell the business and then, and then what's your next move? I sell the business um, and I start booth renting um, in a bigger town that we actually lived in. Um, and I was commuting like 45 minutes uh, to the shop every day. Uh, so it was like, that was, that was kind of crazy too. But so what I did was I just, I was like, I just want to booth rent. I don't want the responsibility. I want to be able to like come and go if I'm doing all these um, like, gigs, you know, runway gigs. And I started doing magazine, uh, session work and stuff like that. Then I need to kind of have a little bit more freedom. So I didn't have any, I didn't want to like start a whole thing again. So I just booth rented. Um, and I did that for, oh my gosh, I can't even remember. I did that until COVID basically. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, COVID hit and then, um, it, it kind of just, it made me just think of things completely different. Um, and I was ha starting to have some weird health issues happen, like some rashing and uh, that was unexplainable. And that's kind of when the health stuff started happening too. Um, 
And I just jokingly called it my psoriasis because no one could figure out what it was at the time. It just like popped up for no reason. Um, but I could still work. It was fine. Um, uh, but yeah, and then COVID hit and um, it, my dad passed away from COVID. And so it kind of just like made me have a whole different perspective on life essentially. And I still wasn't fully out like as a queer person, like I went through this whole journey for, I don't even know. I owned the barbershop for almost eight years, nine to like, I went through this whole journey for nine years, still kind of afraid to like come out to some of my clients or like, what are they going to say? Or like, are they going to not come in now? Because because I'm gay or I don't know, you know, cause it was kind of a purple place that I lived um, politically speaking. And so I just like, didn't know uh, what to think. And um, yeah, so COVID hit. And then I was like, I'm just going to do me. I'm, I'm so over like everything. And I was just in this weird funk because, you know, my dad died and um, I wasn't working. And usually, you know, well, for me, I'm a workaholic. So if someone dies, then I just put all my energy into work. So I don't have to think about it. <laughs> and uh, COVID happened. So I couldn't think about it or I couldn't not think about it. I had to like deal with my emotions. And so <laughs> um, it was awful, but it was great at the same time. So I'm like, oh my God, okay. Mental health is like so important. Like taking care of your body is so important and, and, uh, taking time off is really important. Um, so that's what COVID kind of, kind of taught me. And I think it taught a lot of people. And so me and my wife had a conversation because during COVID I still had the shop or I still had the building. Um, we had our mortgage for our house and I was paying booth rent still at the other place. So, um, that was quite a bit of money that I just wasn't making anymore. And um, so we had a conversation that we were going to sell the business because some, or not the business, I'm sorry. We were going to sell the building because um, I just didn't want to make that. I just don't want to worry about that mortgage payment anymore um, with COVID happening. And someone was interested in it. And so we, Oh my God. It, it, it wasn't a lot. Again, mind you, it's a small town. So I bought that building for $60,000, like a steal. And I sold it for, I can't quite remember, like 180. What? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. So we got a nice little chunk of change. We got a nice little nice. return. On it. Um, and I still owed the, um, I still owned my, my investor guy. Well, he had passed away. And then, so it was his wife that I was paying now. And, um, so I think I still owed them. I can't remember, um, like 60 K out of that. I think I still owed them. Um, cause I borrowed 80, no 60, 70, 80. I borrowed 90 from them. Um, so I, I still owed 60. So it was a good little chunk of change to get for not really having that building for that long. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of skeeted us through COVID and helped us out a little bit too. Uh, and then at that moment we had a conversation. My wife was a, 
uh, animal control officer. She had been doing various uh, police jobs and just like not really feeling it. Before that, she did parks. And that's actually what brought us to where the barbershop was. Um, but it didn't pay very well. So she was like, you know what? I'm over all of this. Uh, do you want to move to Palm Springs? And I'm like, girl, you do not even have to tell me twice. Like, of course I want to move to Palm Springs. Like it's warm. It's beautiful. It's like the land of the gays. I don't know if people know that, but like, it's like pretty much like the gay capital of the U S. So of course I want to go live there. So <laughs> nothing was, uh, nothing was holding us back. We didn't have the building. Um, property values were like jumping up like a mother. So our house, we could get a crap ton for. Um, and oddly enough, just at the time that we were looking, property values in Palm Springs were going down because it's a tourist destination. Mm -hmm. So because of COVID, things there were like not awful, but like going down a little bit. But in, you know, Northern Colorado, things were going shooting up because everybody was getting out of, you know, Denver, like those bigger right. cities. So it, it just, again, serendipitous kind of worked for us. It was just like this kind of joke, like, oh, we should move to Palm Springs. And we kind of were looking at Zillow and we're like, oh my God, we could like buy a place there. Legit. Like we could sell our house and buy a place there and have enough cushion to like not even have jobs. And so that's what we did. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So we like just literally sold everything found a what I call a tiny house but it was basically a modular home um in a cute little community in Palm Springs and it was 600 square feet so we went from 2500 square feet in Colorado to 600 square feet sold all of our furniture sold all of the rest of any sort of barbershop stuff I had um and made the move here and that was two and a half years ago almost three years ago that we did that and um, moved here in the height of COVID. Salons for in California were still um, closed. In Colorado, they weren't, but in California, they were. So I found a lesbian-owned salon because it was so important to me to like have this like new um, lease on life, essentially, where I felt like I was always kind of closeted, and I'm like. I'm just going to be Georgia. I get to be Georgia now. I don't, I'm not like the barbershop owner or um, the runway, but I just get to be Georgia. And so I, it was important to me to find a queer owned space. So I found a lesbian owned salon where it was just her, everybody she had working there had to move because, you know, I mean, California was closed for like eight months out of the year, like on and off, they had three different closings. So a lot of people had to kind of move and that worked for me. So my whole idea was to move here when it was already closed. I could get, um, what is it called? Reciprocity. Okay. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. So I got, I, I got that so that I could get my license really fast, got the business license, got all the things, got everything set up so that when the salons opened again, I could take like the influx of people. Um, and that's kind of what happened. So I went to her shop. She didn't have anyone working there anymore. So I got all their people. Nice. And then I got like, oh, you know, any other person. Cause I was like, I'm gotta be open when they open these salons again, because all the people are going to want 
cuts and it worked really, really well for me <laughs> to do it that way. Um, and just a year later, I opened, you know, the space that I'm in now and I was able to build my clientele to, you know, afford a space like this. Um, and I didn't think that's what I wanted to do. I thought I just wanted to booth ramp, but, um, that, you know, a year ago I was thinking, you know what, like, it's so important to me to have, um, an accessible, a safe space, uh, gender, uh, non-conforming pricing. Uh, and, and those weren't really, some of those things weren't a thing at that other salon, um, which is fine. But I was like, these things are so important to me that I'm not willing now to compromise on any of those things. Whereas before I would, and now I'm like, no, this is, this is it. This is what we have to do. And I started consulting other salons on it because out here, it may be a very like LGBTQ friendly space, but it's an older clientele. So I think for the people in the queer community like me, you're still going to have like some people who may not understand, uh, you know, trans issues or may not um, understand the need for, you know, not having men and women pricing, you know, pricing like that is, I feel like very dated. So uh, you, you see that a lot more here. I think than I did in Colorado. So it's something that I've started doing to consult um, salons to try to get them up, up to speed, you know, with today's queer culture and, and what needs to happen, but in a way where we're not like canceling or we're not, um, you know, again, like the alienation, I don't think we get anywhere if we just like cancel everything and cancel everyone. So I just try to work with this clientele of people who have these salons and, and kind of try to, you know, small steps to help them with the I got a question. Um, would you, in, in hindsight, would you, if you could go back in time, do you think you would have handled uh, the small towns uh, barbershop a little differently and add more of yourself and uh, into that space or, you know, cause like, before you answer that, um, you know, I do, I have, I have very much so read many a story, entrepreneur story where they buy like a franchise. And when you right. buy a franchise, you're buying someone else's business and brands. And um, if you've ever watched the movie, The Founder or mm. whatever it's called with the, about Ray Kroc and about McDonald's, you yes. know, he, he was opening up his McDonald's. Um, Business wasn't taken off as fast, so some of the people who owned the McDonald's locations would add things to their menu, and uh, and he would come in and goes, "What are you doing? We don't sell this. Right. We don't sell that. We don't sell fried chicken. We don't sell mashed potatoes. We sell burgers, fries, and shakes." And uh, they're like, "No, but this is what our business wants." And he goes, "No, like if you're <laughs> going to be in business, you got to follow this because this is so like." So I understand. Uh, I understand taking a business and taking it, understanding its brand and its and its uh, and its customer base. And I think it 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 sounds like kind of business entrepreneurship one hundred and one. Take this and kind of spin it up. Um, right. However, that said, would you, if you were going to go back in time, would you make any changes? And if so, what would they be? 
Um, if I could go back in time, I would make changes. Okay. Um, I... No, nothing super big because I still like have like this business mindset that, you know, you got to know what your demographics are, your target, everything that you just said. Um, but I would, I would be more open about who I was because I feel like, I feel like I actually cheated them. It, it's not so much like, Oh, like I wasn't able to like be really me. Um, even though that's probably how I should feel, but it's more so like seeing like who I am and, and, and embracing myself fully now, now that I'm like 33. Um, it, I feel like I cheated my clients a little bit. Like we had good community relationship. We had a good relationship, but then it's like, if you're not fully out in yourself with your clients, um, you are cheating them a little bit because like they do want to know a little bit about you and they do want to like support you. And if you're like not being a hundred percent with them, then I feel like you're, you're cheating them of that relationship that you, you could have. So I think in that aspect, I would be more open. Um, and I probably would have been like more of an advocate. I wish I would have been more of an advocate to, for like the queer community, because now that I'm not in that community, I see so many people who would have needed it or who are doing it now. Like there's now a little gay bar in there and I'm like, Whoa, I didn't even know there was enough people to facilitate a gay bar there. <laughs> but like, but like, how could I have known? I was, I, I was kind of like sheltered and in my own little bubble. So. I mean, you were so new too, till it, I know you were doing, you had so much on your plate. Uh, you probably there's probably a level of fear there, uh, like yes, in many ways, so many different types of fear too. What yeah, about well, and I think when you're trying to build a clientele, like when you're brand new and you're trying to build a clientele, you're you do kind of I feel like you are more reserved because you're just a little baby hairdresser and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't know, like it, is something I say gonna make them not come back or, you know, you feel like you are more reserved. And then I think if you, you know, are someone in the queer community or someone with like, I don't know, any sort of things that aren't deemed like normal societal things, then you're almost, it's almost heightened because you're like, ah, way too self-aware on, on it when really you should just like take a breath and, and be okay with being who you are because then you're going to attract the clients you want. So, well, and also your ability to, um, you know, businesses also uh, go through uh, brand uh, changes where they kind of relaunch their brand with new colors and new identity and new mission statements and stuff. Um, so that, that could have been kind of on maybe a little more on the table had, uh, had had you tried that too but i think it's a really interesting story i mean it sounds like you probably learned so much about yourself and about business and about people during the process um so you know i know it's been i know we've been talking for a little while here i think your story is interesting because it, it it does run a gamut and it's it's kind of like there's a lot there's a lot involved the part about educating advocating for to for salon like to help salons uh provide these safe accessible and gender neutral spaces um what is the uh, most common thing that people struggle with that you 
work with on this on these topics? There's two things, and one kind of derives from like the the queer community and and providing safe spaces, and one kind of derives from like the accessibility standpoint. And the first one is um, gender neutral pricing. So making sure you don't have men and women's pricing. Instead, you have it by short versus long or time. You're seeing a lot of salons now do stuff um, based on time, uh, things like that. So trying to get people to see that they're not going to lose money doing it that way. They're actually probably get more money doing it that way um, and kind of showing them different business models um, that help them because that's the biggest pushback that I get is like, oh, well, I'm going to lose money if uh, like me, for example, if they deem my haircut, which is usually a clipper cut, I need a haircut. Um, but uh, if they, they're like, oh, you're a woman, so you should pay the three times more women's pricing even though it's going to be a clipper cut you know like so it's like well mm, that's i don't know that's like pink tax i feel like so that's kind of messed up and so you probably shouldn't do that from a moral standpoint but also like you're gonna make more money if you base your stuff on time or on short versus long because like this isn't taking that long so like book me for a shortcut and then you'll be able to fit someone else in and then you'll make more money that way. So I, it's just a lot, you know, that you have to kind of work with people. Um, so I do that. And then the other thing that I'm really passionate about that I don't see um, that I feel like a lot of salon owners struggle with is accessibility from a standpoint of mobility, people who have to use mobility aids, um, people that have, uh, that are in a wheelchair, uh, deaf people, blind people. So, um, so I feel like that's super important to me because one of my very good friends is a paraplegic. Uh, my uncle was a paraplegic. So I think I, it's always kind of been in my mind because of that, uh, to make sure, you know, the doorways are, are big enough for them to like stroll on in here make sure you can move a chair easily without, you know, obstructing anything uh, for that client. And then, um, you know, the, the, the sinks, the sinks, like with the chairs that are attached, they're really pretty, right? Like, and you could have them, but maybe have one sink, pedestal sink that doesn't have a chair or, or maybe if you're a tiny salon like me, like my space, I just have the pedestal sink, um, that, you know, moves up and down. And then I just have a regular shampoo chair that I can move out of the way. So it's like little things like that. Um, can someone in a wheelchair get into your space? Is there, is there a step? Like in my old salon, there was a step. So, so that already kills it for a lot of people. And then, um, uh, I have a, a few deaf clients. I'm also hearing impaired. I wear hearing aids. I have been all my life. And so for, for deaf, um, do you have like an iPad where you guys can communicate or something or a phone where you can communicate? It's just like little things that I think people don't think about. Um, that can make a huge difference because, you know, I mean, 
these people want to get their head shampooed also. And, you know, they, they want to be able to go in a space and easily be able to get their hair cut like everybody else. So, so those are things that I think about as well. Nice. Um, you know, I was thinking about, uh, um, so I, I'm deaf in my right ear and, uh, and I'm, it's like definitely changed my perception on a lot perspective on a lot of things. Like I, you know, just having, you know, I've never had any sort of handicap or uh, disability or anything. And now I have this thing that's like this real thing. So I think uh, hearing about stuff like this, I think it's really interesting. Uh, on another note, on that similar vibe, but not with an impairment, there was like, um, I was in Shanghai and I was, I wanted, I like to get a haircut when I travel, especially international travel. And well, no one spoke English. And uh, so I'm like, how do I tell them what I want to cut my hair? And uh, luckily, they were able to pull up an iPad. And it was all in um, in the Chinese characters. So, uh, but I was able to be like, like, I don't even know what I said, because they couldn't understand anything, but they were able to switch it to English. So I was able oh, right. to type in something and look up uh, celebrity uh, that I wanted them to give me the haircut and it was very helpful, but like, otherwise I would have had to turn around and leave. I wouldn't have been right. able to get the service done. Right. And uh, it's so cool. Like we have, we have like such awesome technology these days that it's like, why don't we use it, you know, use it to our advantage, um, like an iPad or Google voice or, or stuff like that, you know? Absolutely. I think um, I think this is a great place to wrap it up. I think uh, I think we should have a separate conversation where we dive in more into depth and the details of the of this kind of stuff. Um, oh, heck yeah. Hearing, hearing your hearing your story was very interesting. And I think a lot of people uh, could probably relate in our industry to uh, at least a part of your story. Um, so I, I would like to like to close out. Would you. You talked about a couple of uh, quite a few different things, and um, I was wondering if you had any like last pieces of advice for somebody who is maybe young and looking to get into business and taking that leap. Uh, maybe somebody who is not expressing and being completely out with who they are as a person, and uh, you know, if do you want to speak to that or um anybody who's thinking about uh making a space more authentic or safer uh if you want to speak to all three as like a like a like a sign off piece of advice uh words of wisdom or thoughts to consider sure thing um i think my biggest piece of advice is to write up a business plan and um some people would be like, write up a business plan. Like, how do I do that? I don't even know. Well, you know, again, technology, Google is an amazing thing. So just Google business plan template and um, do those tiny little steps, like know what your mission is, know what your objective is, know what your goals are and know what your target is um, and, and the demographics of where you live because so many people um, especially starting out, they don't have a business mind. They're just like, Whoa, I'm creative. And I, I'm going to do all this stuff, but, but then they get discouraged because it, it doesn't quite work like that. And just kind of be smart about it. Like when does no one else work, work when no one else works or, or how can you, how can you, um, get more clients 
and who is your target client? Like, who do you, who, if you had to do one person's hair all day, every day, who would it be? What would that look like? Would they have short hair, long hair? Would they be like a cool edgy person or would they be like beach wave, long hair type blonde vibes? Like, like who would you want in your chair all the time? Um, and work towards that. Like, what does that mean? Where do they shop at? Where do they go? Like, how can you attract them? And it has a lot to say about if you are authentic. Um, and if you are being authentic with yourself, because like, for me, my target now is much different than my target when I wasn't being, you know, 100% authentic to myself. So my target now is just like, any cool queer person who wants to walk in my space, like, i pretty sure I do like most of the queer population in this, in the Valley here. So, um, that's, that's my target. And I think I attract it a lot because I am a hundred percent just being me. So I attract a lot of people who are like me. So, so I guess that would be my biggest piece of advice is know who you want in your chair, do a business plan and just like rock who you are a hundred percent. For sure. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who this story will resonate with and uh, potentially help somebody through their, their, their own personal journey. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next time, I'll talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>